one. <clears throat> People are so generous to bow as they come in. Uh, and if I bowed with everyone, I would be like a little bobbing thing in the car, you know, <laughs> constantly, uh, constantly going. So I save my bow to then. Uh, before we um, begin our uh, brief sitting, which we often do, I wanted to um, remind people of something that you, that you may be quite familiar with. I'm going to screen share just for a second. <clears throat> if you go to the, the Appamata uh, website, you'll see a um, uh, one of the, the pages is a study. And on that page, if you scroll down a little bit, there are two versions of our chant book. Because some people have been asking about the chants, and we only do a, a few of them here, but you can um, <clears throat> you can actually um, print out the whole thing if you want from the PDF. And uh, for example, when we do the um, the verse of the robe or do the four practice principles, these are ones that we do typically. You can get all of those things off of the website if you'd like. So I just wanted to point that out to some folks uh, because they have been asking uh, about some of the things that, that we do. <clears throat> so let's uh, in, enjoy a few moments of, of silence and stillness and presence with each other.
as we return over and over again to silence and stillness, returning to a silence that is not necessarily devoid of sound or a stillness that's not necessarily the absence of movement or activity. But by being relatively silent and still, we give ourselves the opportunity to rest in the peaceful heart of mystery and all the words including the ones I'm saying now are just an invitation back to the the silence and when I stop talking that kind of silence doesn't quite actually touch the kind of silence that we return to and all the activities we do coming online, even something we call sitting, doesn't quite touch the stillness. that those everyday human embodied things guide us to. Maybe instead of saying, we're now going to sit, Maybe it's more accurate to say we're going to return to silence and stillness. A return to what's always, already our nature. With some spirit some confidence in that return and how it shapes us as we go forward in our lives together. Just taking care of our posture and stillness, taking care of our breath and silence and allowing awakening to take care of itself.
and our return is more of a welcome rather than a withdrawal. Welcome an inhalation. We welcome the exhalation. We welcome everything as our life. Let's begin with the four practice principles. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, Compassion's way. Welcome everyone. <clears throat> I, I recently, during this past week, was doing what I often do when I uh, go on errands, whether I'm going to the store or 
to the landfill or the recycling center or all the exciting things one does on Molokai. Um, and what I do is I uh, listen to podcasts when I drive and often Dharma talks um, because it's one of the ways that I um, can be fed and encouraged and also gives me ideas um, to be able to say the one thing that we can say in many different ways in these brief talks. And I was listening to a talk by um, one of the new uh, people who's taken the position as abbot at San Francisco Zen Center, Jiryu Richmond Byler is his name. Um, and the title of his talk was, was Coping with Our Problems, but uh, he was reflecting on a quotation from uh, Suzuki Roshi, and we just completed our a retreat here, as you know, in Hawaii, where we focused on Zen mind, beginner's mind. And this was a quote that I, I, I wasn't quite so familiar with. Here's the, here's the piece that he was reflecting on. His comment was, if your everyday life is not based on this kind of spirit of repeating it forever, you cannot cope with the problems you have day after day. So this is out of some context, I know, but Suzuki Roshi's comment, if your everyday life is not based on this kind of spirit of repeating it forever, you cannot cope with the problems you will have day after day. This kind of spirit of repeating it forever, this kind of spirit of repeating it forever, <clears throat> Uh, as I hear that, I think of, of our zazen practice, of course, our continual practice, our way of turning toward the whole world uh, in each moment and welcoming it, as I spoke about in sitting, and to share in the feeling that everything is extending itself to us. <clears throat> to share the feeling uh, when people are coming on, to sh share the feeling of being alive with everything. And that he's saying this, this is our practice forever. This is the spirit of repeat, a spirit of repeating it forever. Returning to silence, returning to stillness. Forever. And the question that pops up for me, maybe for you, is like, uh, am I up for this? Foreverness? Uh, because this is the spirit that he's, he's pointing to. <clears throat> and what's the... Um, we always want something practical. You know, what's the path for dealing with the suffering we'll have day after day? So I'm going to return to that, but this this quote which i'd not heard before if your everyday life is not if your everyday life if your everyday life is not based on this kind of spirit of repeating it forever you cannot cope with the problems you'll have day after day i was reminded of a much more commonly used quotation from zen mind beginner's mind um, in the little chapter that's called single minded way <clears throat> So I'm going to read um, just a brief little bit from that. 
he says the, the Bodhisattva's way is called the single-minded way, or one railway track thousands of miles long. The railway track is always the same. If, if it were to become wider or narrower, it would be disastrous. Wherever you go, the railway track is always the same. This is the Bodhisattva way. And here's the famous quote. So even if the sun were to rise in the west, the Bodhisattva has only one way. Even if the sun were to arise in the west, the Bodhisattva has only one way. Our way is in each moment to express our nature and our sincerity. And then he goes on, and I think it's important, I'm going to read this next section because uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. He says, we say railway track, but actually there's no such thing. Sincerity itself is the railway track. The sights we see from the train will change. We're always running on the same track. And there's no beginning or end to the track. Beginningless and endless track. There's no starting point, nor goal, nothing to attain. Just to run on the track is our way. This is the nature of our Zen practice. So to me, there's something very beautiful about this. Um, and, and it would be a mistake, I think, to read a single-minded way as some fundamentalist, you know, one true path you should believe. You know, I, you can hear that. The single-minded way. And that's why it was important to continue with the second little paragraph where he says, we say railway track, but actually there's no such thing. It's an expression of this spirit of repeating, which in this case he calls sincerity. If the spirit is sincerity. The railway track is sincerity. The one, even if even if the sun were to come up in the west, even if everything was turned upside down, even if the whole universe, you know, there's only one, one way, which is caring for ourselves and each other, the Bodhisattva way. And he says, using the imagery, the scenery changes along the train, you know, but the track doesn't change. What we see and what happens changes all the time. That's the nature of impermanence. But the Bodhisattva's way is to stay steady, not necessarily to feel steady, to continue to practice and repeating over and over. There's no starting point, no destination. It's beginningless and endless. Just moving along the track of practice is our lives. Just moving along, just breathing, just welcoming, returning to silence and stillness. You know, one of the things that I've always appreciated, and in this Dharma talk I was listening to, Jiri, you mentioned it also, the way he said it, he said, I've always been, a, I've always admired Suzuki Roshi's bluntness. Because, you know, it's not, to me, it's not unkind and it's not aggressive. It's also not gratuitous. He's not showing off. He's encouraging us by saying something that on the first glance looks like really discouraging <laughs> with this encouragement. You know, there's a couple of really well-known ones you're both, uh, all of you are familiar with. One of them is, um, that one on the fourth day of Sashin, when everybody's like weary and don't know if they can go on. And he says in his Dharma talk that morning, the problems, 
you're having now will continue for the rest of your life. <laughs> and then he laughs. It's like, yeah, th this is it. And another uh, quotation, which you've heard, I know, where he says to his students, you know, you're perfect, just like you are. And you could use a little improvement. So each time he gives you a little, a little reality check, actually. But it's not to be unkind or to be harsh. It's not, you're not being hit with the Zen stick, you know. It's just, and, and psychological research, you know, as a, as a clinical psychologist, you have to sometimes read all this research about various things. And some of the social psychological research says, if you, if you want to gain trust and have a deep abiding kind of constant faith in relationships with people in a social setting, uh, it's very important to uh, be honest and admit things that are faulty or, di di you know, difficulties. Because if it always is positive, it's like, mm, I don't know. But if you say, yeah, I've had that problem too. And it, there's something about that. And all of us have problems day after day, I think, right? And it's actually the first noble truth. When the Buddha says oh, life is characterized by dukkha, he's saying we have problems day after day and there's no end to the problems. All of us want to read the other three truths as, and then this is how you will solve your problems. So the first truth stands. Life is characterized by dukkha, whether you practice or whether you don't practice. And Lori brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned it last time too, but are, are we waiting? And, and oddly, our spiritual practice can be a form of waiting. Like, I'll do this so that, you know, eventually, or maybe a, a better teacher will come along, someone who will say the things that actually I want to hear. Or new spiritual friends will come along and together we'll form some special sangha that'll be the one where everything works well. Or, you know, there's lots of, of waitings. But all the teachers say, you know, this is the great matter. Life is passing. Don't waste time. The problem is life. The main reason you suffer is because you're alive. The Buddha did not say, if you practice well, you will have no problems. There's no way to be alive and not have problems. It's not a problem that we have a problem. It's not a sign that you're practicing incorrectly. What this attitude, which we all have, reveals is, um, I think it's kind of like a subtle loyalty to this illusion of separation that keeps us from practicing intimately with reality. Like, you know, this is me, and then there are my problems over there that I'm working with. I'm working with the problems. And if I could solve them or get rid of them, and sometimes that's other people, <laughs> then things would be okay and I wouldn't suffer sometime in the future. Is it, do you think like this sometimes? It's not just me, right? So the students come to me. 
well, <laughs> let me say it a different way, but to get rid of them, the problems, would mean to get rid of your life. Because there isn't any them. The very life you are clinging to with the delusion that it could be problem-free, that's the problem. There isn't some them separate. This is your life. And so people come to me, you know, practice discussion. Uh, you come here to inquiry. And in, in some way or another, we communicate our concerns. And usually the assessment is, I know this is a little abridged, but the assessment comes to me like this. What is wrong with my practice? I still have problems. I must be doing something wrong. Because if I practiced right, then I wouldn't have these problems. I wish that's how it went. The, the path does lead to liberation. The, the Buddha is not like lying to us and all the ancestors that came before us dedicated their lives to this practice. So once again, like Suzuki Roshi, I'm not trying to be discouraging when I'm being blunt. The path does lead to liberation, but you can't read it backwards. That no suffering would be evidence that you're accomplishing the path. The path leads us to liberation, but you can't change it around that, okay, I'm not suffering, therefore I must be, I'm suffering, so I must not be on the path, is how we usually read it. I'm suffering, so what am I doing wrong? But those are not the right questions. A better question is, how do I attend to this suffering, this life, our shared lives? How do I take care of it? How do I welcome it and take care of it? Because I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. I'm perfect just like I am, and I could use a little improvement, like returning to silence and stillness, everything is fine, and then there's lived difficulty. So how do I attend to this suffering? How do I attend to this life that's full of problems? Our shared lives. Now we're back to Suzuki Roshi. It's through the spirit of repetition we take care of our problems. Even if the sun comes up in the West, in other words, even if the worst things happen, it's still our job. And without this spirit, and that without this kind of sincerity, you can't actually manage being alive and be unburdened from the unnecessary suffering that we create by seeing the world in this way. And without this spirit and without this sincerity, you can't help others to release their burdens from unnecessary suffering. This is the Bodhisattva way. But this is a point where <clears throat> I usually say, Give me a break. Like, really? I'm going to have to do this again? I've been patient. I've been wise a few times. I've been compassionate. Like, again? And again? And again? So we cultivate this spirit of welcoming. A sincere spirit of welcoming. Come on, reality. You're going to ask of this me at this again? I shouldn't have to deal with problems again. If these problems would just get out of the way, then I could enjoy and appreciate my life.
if I just had the right partner, or if I just had the right teacher, or if I just had the right, um, you know, name your list, you know, the right house, the right cosmetic surgery, the right whatever, whatever it is, just enough money. Compassion is welcoming problems as my life. Compassion is welcoming problems as my life. And the inexhaustible nature of our bodhisattva vow is what Suzuki Roshi is talking about when he talks about the bodhisattva way. If your everyday life is not based on this kind of spirit of repeating it forever, you cannot cope with the problems you will have day after day. Even if the sun arises from the west, the bodhisattva has only one way. Our way in each moment is to express our nature and our sincerity. There's a, a little sequence that Donna Martin had brought to my attention, and I, I've spoken about it in another inquiry, I think. It's a set of instructions by Patra Rinpoche, a, a wonderful Tibetan teacher. Uh, these four things, he says, don't invite the future, don't prolong the past, don't fear appearances, don't disturb your innate wakefulness, don't invite the future, take care of your life now, just as it is. Don't prolong the past. Take care of your life now, as it is. Don't fear appearances, all the things that arise. Just take care of your life now, as it is. Don't disturb your innate wakefulness, your true nature. Take, just take care of your life now, as it is. You have problems because you're alive. Your problems are evidence that you have been given a life. And you can do something about the problems if you let go of the idea that you should not have them, or that it's a mistake, or that you were a mistake or a failure for having them. If we look back at the Four Noble Truths again, you know, the life is characterized by dukkha, dissatisfaction, problems. It comes with the territory. You get issued a life, you get issued that. That's part of the deal. And then what is hard to realize, I think, is that the first Noble Truth and the fourth are the same thing. Think about it. The fourth Noble Truth is what? It's the Eightfold Path. So, um, you know, right view, right intention, right speech, right con action or conduct, it goes down the list. And this right doesn't mean right or wrong, it means in accord with life, taking care of our problems, taking care of our problems. So, life is characterized by dukkha. Right view is taking care of our problems by seeing correctly. Right intention is having the right orientation, right speech is... Actually, life is characterized by dukkha. That's what comes with the territory. And, and the fourth noble truth is, and this is how one is relieved of unnecessary suffering in a world that is full of those problems all the time. Not that if you do these things, you'll have no problems. It's our reactivity, number two, that invite unnecessary suffering. And number three, there's a way to contain and care for this reactive energy and all the inevitable problems we end. That's that's a whole nother talk, you know, all, all this. But 
it's really interesting to think of the first one and the fourth one as actually the same thing, just looked at in a different way. Here, you know, in our four uh, practice principles, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, right? So there's our problems. Caught in the self-centered dream, my problems. The fourth line, being just this moment, compassion's way. Compassion is welcoming the problems in my life, as my life, the problem of being alive. The first one and the fourth one relate to each other. In the middle, we have holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, insisting on a personal solution. We hang on, waiting, hoping, wishing. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Okay, there is a way. That's taking care of the life you have. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. That's taking care of the life you have. If your everyday life is not based on this kind of spirit of repeating it forever, you cannot cope with the problems you'll have day after day. Even if the sun were to rise from the west, the Bodhisattva has only one way. So maybe this is um, discouraging. <laughs> um, but it's the kind of encouragement that comes from facing reality, which we can do together. Um, but maybe it brings up some questions or concerns or discernment around some of this that might be helpful for us to discuss. So please bring it forward. Um, and things that are that you're concerned about or, or that you challenge or it doesn't seem quite right or upsetting. Uh, I'm happy to receive those things. All you have to do is raise your hand. Yeah, Cassie. There you go. Um, I'm a little bit broken today. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I, I was just so struck by uh, the welcoming your problems. I was just like, oh, wow, that's a really big flip on, you know, the way I associate with, you know, the things I think are problems. Um, I greatly appreciate that. And, um, and the metaphor of the train and recently seen a video of a train going down a track and was able to kind of visualize all of that. Uh, but <clears throat> my dear friend Rick Rayburn passed away and his oh, funeral. Yeah. yeah. I thought he would probably not live Make a long time. Yeah. Days. Yeah. So right, it was, yeah, it was about a month of after his diagnosis of cancer before he dropped his body. Um, and so at his funeral, um, one of my friends said, you know, I'd like to go with you. And, and I, and I just like, whoa, that really landed in because, you know, uh, and so while we were sitting at our table of about, you know, eight people, uh, somebody wanted Jay, his husband to have a place to sit. 
So they put the chair next to me, which meant that the person that had come to support me was now a chair away. And uh, then another friend wanted to come up and join that table and put a chair on the other side. And so now, and then Jay wasn't sitting there and the other person wasn't sitting there. So now I had empty spaces on both sides and I really needed somebody to to lean into. I needed somebody to be next to. And uh, so I voiced it. And my friend said, no, that's for Jay. He'll come back. And I said, well, what about this chair? You know, can we move over this chair? And they said, no, this person, you know, you know, other people are going to come in and sit here. So three times I asked not to have vacant seats on each side of me and was told no each time. So uh, uh, when it was my turn to go up and speak at the microphone, um, when I came back, I just said someplace different. I was waiting for that one. Uh, or just move, move the, you don't have to have somebody else solve the problem, just move over. Yeah. Yeah. Move, sit where you it, want to sit. It takes me a long time to, to move where I want to sit. Yeah, and you did something really wonderful. You asked, you voiced. Because that, that's new also. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong. You yeah. exhausted that way of attempting to solve the problem. And then finally, it's like, oh, yeah, I can just, I can move. And I think that they were doing that because they, they, you know, I, on one side of the coin, I think that they wanted what I was going to offer to be available for those empty seats. Uh, and you have to remember one other thing. Grief makes people crazy. And so, I mean, I'm being crude by the way I'm saying it that way. Is that when you're in the midst of all that, people are not in their right minds. Yeah. I also found it interesting that um, like the first two people to, to speak were uh, uh, like employers and it was, it, it was kind of like a commercial, you know, they like, they, they were saying something about Rick, but they, I also were like promoting their business a tiny bit. And so. Uh, What'd you say? Uh, the essence yeah so uh, Rick had a joyful smile about him you know and and everybody had been talking about this exuberance that he had so uh, I talked about when going over to their house that you knew that you know he was going to greet you at the door with a smile you knew that there was a smile on the other side of that door uh but what really happened when you opened the door was that love was meeting you, that love was opening that door. Yeah. And um, that door that he opened for you will always be open. <laughs> and I would imagine you're one of the few people could match his exuberance. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so so like 
you know, even in saying that, I, I start, you know, down that little self-judging path of maybe those chairs had to be there because people couldn't take in what I, I don't know. I, I don't just felt that self-judgment part come back. I, I didn't. Personal. I think people are just swirling around in grief and trying to do things, thinking they're being helpful and just it gets confusing and your job is to say, I, I want to go sit by my friend. I'm gonna go sit by my friend. <laughs> yeah. Right. And just take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming forward. You're a great gift to all of us. Thank you. I think Becky may have had her hand up next. Hi, Becky. Hi, Flint. Before I start, I'd like to just say so much of a thank you to Cassie for bringing that forward. And I found that I'd like to sing a song for myself, for her, for all of us in terms of grief in relationship to friends who've recently transitioned. So. No coming. No going, no after, no before. I hold you close to me. I release you to be so free. For you are in me. And I am in you, for you are in me, and I am in you. And, and the reason I came forward was that in your talking, I had a flash of something that I hadn't put there that clearly or received that clearly, which is that each of the times I've experienced a freedom that, that an awakening of any sort brings, then it's not attained. It is there that moment. I, I guess there was something in me that thought, oh, now I know how to be free from this thing or something. And so, and, and that I see each time I have something that some little part of something is it's like, oh, that, that's a freedom from that, right? That I also at that moment have a flash of that there is so much more. But I always thought the more was always going to be different, <laughs> deeper, broader, whatever. Um, and it is often too. But, and, and that was really freeing. So I thank you for that in what you were just talking about. Um, and it's particularly lovely that it happened today for me, which was that I've recently been caught in a tangle that, that, as many tangles do, they go out and 
catch old tangles and drag them into it and they you know find other dimensions to it but they aren't that it doesn't bring a solution it just brings a bigger tangle um which is that i got pretty clear pretty clear uh about a month or uh, more than a month ago that what i needed to do next in my cancer treatment is to take a break from it and let my body be strong by the next time that I invite the chemo-related treatment to, before I invite that into me again, that I needed to strengthen my, my body. I needed to strengthen that and have as much strength to do it as I could. And I was getting more and more depleted with bigger and bigger reactions. But I couldn't let myself absolutely make that as a decision until I could talk to an oncologist. And that took a huge long time before someone was able to respond to me. So it was only yesterday that I spoke with the oncologist and woke up really clear about a whole, whole lot of aspects of all of that this morning. So I went, oh, wow, you know, it's... And I realized that in, in choosing to do what they felt was best, I had to turn something over to them. But that also in that process, as my body felt less and less capable to take that in and do something good with it, um, that I started feeling like a victim to it. And that's not the way I want my body and mind to go with the idea of healing. So anyway, it really, what, what all you were saying today, right, landed very well in me today. And I just am this, this last bit that you're saying, I think, is really a good distinction between wholesome surrender something that an unwholesome submission is a different thing. And that distinction is what wakes up. It gives you more space. And thank you for the song. It was so beautiful. It's from, it's from the Palm Village tradition. And thought. it's been really useful to me through the many deaths and so on that have been around me recently. So I wanted you. to share and I hope that your um, uh, break or will give you much more energy. <clears throat> we have Suzanne. Uh, quite a theme this morning, huh, Suzanne? We really have, Lynn. <clears throat> I'm, I was really touched by Becky's song. That was very... I thought you um, would be <laughs> near to my heart. Yes. Um, I, I listened to what you said, Flint, through um, the lens of what we talked about on Sunday at, at meditation from the perspective of practice edges. And um, I, I invited people to speak about them, knowing that it could be kind of risky because it's acknowledging something what happened was as as we talked about it 
we started laughing and <laughs> became not not of course not laughing at each other but laughing with some delight in the discovery that we're not alone and of yeah. course and of course when problems are shared problems are halved or more you know we go oh this isn't such a big deal or yeah it's it's life okay um so I, I just was really struck with that. And then this morning, I read, um, I was reading, I'm reading uh, Gitter's Mind again, stimulated by the retreat. And um, the quote I read from Suzuki Roshi that stuck with me is, is that if you lose your spirit of repetition, this is all going to be very difficult. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's really true. If we if we aren't willing and aren't willing to you know meet our edges, mm -hmm. and and just keep going on the railway track, <clears throat> and and real exactly because everything we pass is all scenery, as he said, as he says, it's all scenery. When we think about our lives as scenery, that adds another little little um, delightful feel to it. Yes. That doesn't mean we, we don't have serious things happen or we're not faced with serious things. Of course. We are. <clears throat> but sharing them is so important. And yeah. that's why I'm so grateful for inquiry here. And that which opens the space that opens of, um, of the silence and stillness that we return to as we're sharing and as we're meeting these problems, mm -hmm. it's the universal aspect. It isn't very personal. <clears throat> The problems, yeah. as as Cassie said, you know, the problems break us. Sure, that's true. Yeah. That is a yeah. way. But it doesn't break the silence and the stillness, mm -hmm. which is all held. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those two ways of looking are a lot of what our practice helps us do, but only through that spirit of continuing over time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> mm -hmm. If we only practice when we feel like it or we feel good, we begin to attach to the practice that's going to make us feel good or encourage us. And we hold on to a gaining idea about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Flint. Thanks thank for you. your teaching. Thank Thanks you. to all of everybody here. It's so good to see you all. Take care. Thanks for your continuous practice over the years, which has led you to this place where you're supporting mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what we were looking at the other day. Aaron and I were going through some things and <clears throat> and he he realized in a way that he hadn't, I guess, uh, quite clearly. It's like, Cassie's been around that long? <laughs> Are we talking about continuous practice? And I said, yeah, it's from the very beginning, you know, 20, however long it is, you know. But many of you are in that way, 22 years, you know. <clears throat> And the number of years doesn't really matter, but it's the spirit of continuation. Ah, Nelda. <clears throat> Pardon me. Hi, Flint. Hi, everyone. Hi, um, thank you for this talk. I, I just want to say that whether it exists or not, I love the synchronicity of the cosmos. 
because things come together and start fitting together like puzzle pieces. And so I'll share the things that came together, starting with depth in practice last night. Kim uh, Mosley shared a little very short two-minute video of a talk he had heard by, I have to look at the name, Jahaku Okumuru, who who gave this talk at the Austin Zen Center. And it's it's entitled um, Buddha Nature, Thief Nature, and essentially saying that one or the other, or sometimes flipping back and forth several times, exist in us. There's either that Buddha nature of releasing to what is, or there's that thief nature of attaching to this or that, wanting, aversion. And so this morning in my sit, I thought, oh, why don't I look at life that way as either a bodhisattva or a dharma gate? Mm -hmm. So everything's just either something of abundance that's being handed to me as a gift. And so that's the bodhisattva or something like this aching hip as I try to sit here is a dharma gate. And that that seemed in my heart, that just seemed to tie into this Buddha nature, thief nature, that we can take everything and see how it is. everything is practice. Everything can either be a gift um, from some bodhisattva in our universe or a dharma gate for us to, to walk through. And then you gave this talk today about all of it is your life, all of it. You can't cut out pieces here and there and say, oh, no, this is the package I want. This is your life. So take all of it. So I hope everyone will, in their own way, um, have the joy and pleasure I've felt from looking at everything as a bodhisattva gift or a dharma gate. So thank you for your talk. That's great because it, it is the practice turn. Because if we just look at their problems that we have, we want to get them solved and cope. That's you know helpful in some ways, but that's not the practice. Says okay, everything is an opportunity. Not like woohoo. Sometimes there are opportunities we don't want, but it's a dharma gate, rather than it's just another damn problem. Yeah, so that's that's great, Nilda. It's a great <laughs> and good to good to reflect on and to say, because it helps us remember. So thank you for that. Thank you for you and for life and for all of you on screen and elsewhere. Alin. Welcome, Lynn. That's serendipity <laughs> and synchronicity. How things come together, which I I just keep. It's happening all the time, doesn't it? And I I wrote something this last week, uh, which um, it's, it's quite short. So I, I just wanted to share it, if that's okay. Um, you will know that I um, I love Morecambe Bay, 
that stretch of sand that goes on forever. And um, I was there fairly recently, and this is what this is what arrived from so, when you were at Morgan. Yeah. yeah. The path is not visible. Each time it has to be discovered, divined, just using this body, these hands, these eyes, these feet. It only exists in the walking of it. We are the living form, we are its presence. Although it's been trodden for centuries, we are the living embodiment, wherever we are. Here, just this, its current expression. Here is the place, here the way unfolds. There is no other. If no one walks the path, will there be a path? It takes courage to meet our suffering, so much courage to meet our life raw and unadorned. Shall we turn away? Shall we say, no, not this, not now? Or shall we meet it all with the whole of this, with open hands, with its raw and unadorned face, with this practice of respect for what we have, sitting up with a straight, strong back, a soft front, breathing, just breathing, taking care with how we place our feet in the zendo, in the world, in our lives, and with each other, together in this aliveness. That's beautiful. Would you mind uh, sharing it with me? I'd be honored. Great. You know, I. Uh, I often use these things uh, because they're so, well, it's, it's beautiful and it's intimate and it's, um, and it comes from uh, all, all of you who you may be called students, but you're teachers also. And we're, we're toward the end of our time, but I'm going to screen share a very short poem and I want you to read it out loud. Okay. Because it's a it's a conversation you're having with a very famous uh, poet, um, Tony Machado. Traveller Your Footprints by Anthony Machado. Traveller, your footprints are the only road, nothing else. Traveller, there is no road. You make your own path as you walk. As you walk, you make your own road. And when you look back, you see the path, you will never travel again. Traveller, there is no road. Only a ship's wake on the sea. Were you familiar with that poem? No. I, I was not. Joel brought it to my attention recently, and then you were reading this, and it's like, oh my goodness, there's a conversation here. So thank you for that, and I look forward to sitting with your poem again. Thank you. And I see that we're just a, a bit over time. So what I want to say is there's a dedication we sometimes use at the end of service, a brief one. 
that says, may our intention equally permeate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. And so uh, you won't be able to hear, but look, in, so say this line after me, may our intentions equally permeate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Flint. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. And um, and as you all know, Appamada's programs and facilities are supported by all of you and all your offerings. So if you would like to make an offering, please do go to appamada.org forward slash contribute, and you'll see a place there to offer Dana to Flint and to any of Appamada's programs and facilities. And there'll be a box to put in what you want your donation for. So thank you all so much. And, um, and if you'd like to continue for a further 30 minutes with myself and others, please do just pop yourself into gallery view and I'll join you in a couple of minutes. Well, a couple of moments, actually. <laughs> right, thank you so much. Thank you.